Turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. It's on page 976 of the Bible that you have in the seat in front of you. If you're sitting on the front row, you might be able to have somebody behind you pass you one. If you don't have a Bible, take that one. You can have it. You can write your name in the front and make it your own. Um, you can build a, make a cover for it or something, you know, so it's not just ugly blue plastic or whatever that is, paper. Uh, page 976 of that Bible and most of your ESVs. I've wrestled with an introduction this week, and I really don't have anything extra special than to just share with you my concerns before I climb into this passage. Um, I've been a little overwhelmed thinking about the baggage that many people will bring into this sermon. Uh, the sermon and passage is about wives submitting to their husbands. And I realize just when someone broaches that subject that a lot of people um, might um, have various experiences that, that are just become really immediate and present. Uh, maybe they grew up in a home where that was abused, or maybe they grew up in a home where that was um, handled well, and they bring up great memories. Uh, there's just, or maybe you are actually have been in a marriage or in a marriage where it's not handled well, or maybe you're delighted in this, this notion uh, because you're actually in a marriage where this is going really well. Um, you know, all the, all the baggage, all the concerns, all the what-ifs, they matter. Let me, let me tell you right now, they matter, okay? And in fact, what I'm going to do next week is I'm going to address some of those. This was only going to be a one-part sermon for the wives, but I've decided um, through the, uh, I've consulted with the other pastors, and, and um, uh, we've decided together to make this a part two. So I want to address some very important questions. And at the end of the morning, I'm going to share with you what those questions are. But for now, what I'm asking of you is I'm asking of you to make every effort possible to set those concerns, presuppositions, experiences maybe, aside for the next few minutes. Okay, what I, what I want to do in these next few minutes is I want to do what I think we should do as the people of God is we should go to God's word and make sense of what the Bible says without bringing our presuppositions, without bringing our experiences, without bringing what we want to say to the passage. And in so doing, I think what we'll do is I want to give you this visual because I think this is a helpful visual. We want to be very careful not to interpret Scripture through our experiences or through what we want it to say or through our presuppositions or what culture says it ought to say. We want to interpret Scripture for what it's saying plainly Okay, and in so doing, what we do is we create some lenses, like a pair of glasses, and I took these off on purpose, not for drama sake, but just so you can visualize it. We create, through the faithful exposition of the Scripture, for what it says plainly, we put on a pair of glasses to then go look back at those circumstances and those experiences to try and then interpret them instead of the other way around. When you try and interpret Scripture through the lens of your experiences, I promise you, you're going to make quite a mess. But when you interpret your circumstances through the lens of the Scripture, man, you're going to have some clarity, and you'll have some sense. You'll be able to make some sense of it all. So that's what we're going to do this morning only. I've set myself free this morning. The other pastors have helped me to just expose the passage uninfluenced by the what-ifs and the baggage and the concerns. And we'll deal with those next week. 
So let me read our passage. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I've decided this morning it might be helpful to have a visual for you. So uh, Cody helped me put together a visual. You can go ahead and put that first screen up. And I had a, um, one of our husbands ask me on this particular Sunday to use a laser pointer to try and figure out some way that we could incorporate a laser pointer since we're going to be preaching on wives submitting to their husbands. And I won't tell you who they are, but I'll just tell you their initials are Jeff Willingham. <laughs> He wanted me to use the laser pointer to really develop some points. So I, this is not necessary this morning, but I brought it anyway. Okay. Now, let me introduce you to this visual aid. Okay. This is really just a visual aid for how the passage or how we're going to unpack the passage. Okay. There are two bookends. There's nothing especially meaningful about the posture of the ladies here holding up the books. Okay. Don't, don't make too much of that. I just was looking for a visual with bookends that might help you think of a lady, okay? So the book ends on each side with three books in between, and this is going to be our guide in the next few minutes. We're going to sort of flesh this thing out and um, fill in the spaces on this image. I want to start first this morning with uh, the bookends. Okay, the bookends are the charge, are the commands in this passage to wives, Okay, and they're bookends in this passage. You may not have noticed this, but I'll just point it out to you. Here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 is the first bookend, which would be the left one, is, is wives submit to your own husbands. There's the command. Okay, there's the charge to wives. The other bookend is on the tail end of the passage, the second half of verse 24. Wives should submit to everything, in everything to their husbands. Okay, so you can fill in that first little point there to the left. There you go. Wives, submit to your husbands. There's the command and there's the charge. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I preached on a passage, verse 21, where we are in the church to submit to one another. And I defined the word submit then. Okay, let me just, give, let me just tell you. I just want to just kind of throw this out there. Three weeks ago, the definition hasn't changed in the last three weeks. Okay, it's still the same definition. In fact, I'm going to read the exact definition complete with a word that I shared three weeks ago to help you connect to that. The word submit means to be subject to. It means to place or rank under, to yield. It is the act of renouncing your own will for the sake of another actually giving preference to another sounds delicious y'all remember that three weeks ago i i read that verbatim from the message three weeks ago because i want you to connect to the reality the notion it might have been more digestible for you a couple weeks ago when we're talking about doing that one another that here three weeks later it might be a little uncomfortable the notion of wives doing that toward husbands The definition has not changed. It meant the same thing there that it means 
here. I thought what might be helpful in the next few minutes is a wee little survey. Okay, a wee little survey of the Bible. Not a survey where I'm asking you questions, but a survey of the Bible where we look at a few different passages to sort of get a sense of what this word means. Sometimes it's easier to visualize if you can connect to a narrative or a passage that might um, uh, expound on a little bit. So let's just start with a general use of the word submit in the New Testament. Just a few passages. You don't need to, to turn to these pages. You might write them down if you want to look at them later. Luke 2 shares a passage in using this word submit in regards to how Jesus submitted to his earthly parents. Okay, let me just point out to you that just you probably know this and you're probably thinking about this and hopefully you've connected this dot that his parents were humans, frail, feeble, faulty humans, and perfection himself submitted, was subject to, placed himself under their leadership in the home. Another passage is in Romans chapter 13. This passage regards the responsibility of Christian citizens to submit to our governing authorities. There's not a lot of condition there either. Submit to our governing authorities. Human, faulty, frail governing authorities, Um, ones who may or may not be your party preference. Let me add that. The call on the Christian's life is to submit, using the same word that we're considering this morning, to our governing authorities. Titus chapter 2 presents another picture regarding slaves to their masters. As slaves are to submit to their masters and be subject to their masters, uh, uh, Paul adds there to Titus that they should be well-pleasing and not argumentative with their pastors. These, other, these little stories and these images hopefully are adding some space here where you can begin to visualize what this word sort of looks like, not just what it means. 1 Peter has a couple of references in, in chapter 2. One, the Christian is to be subject to human institutions. And another passage there in 1 Peter chapter 2, again, for the slave to his master, that the slave should submit and be subject to his master, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the unjust ones. Does that give you a little bit of a visual? There are 31 verses that I found in the New Testament that use this word in some form. It might be used a few, few times within the passage, but 31 passages that deal with the notion of submission. Some of those passages have to do with what creation is toward Christ. The creation has been subjected to and put in submission to Christ. Okay, so other passages deal with a narrative, like in Christ's sake, where he's submitting to his parents Other passages deal with what Christ is doing regarding creation. Some of them have to do with slaves and masters. Some have to do with our role toward authorities. Six of the 31 have to do with the relationship between wives and their husbands. Of wives submitting to their husbands. I want to just point out to you that this passage in Ephesians chapter 5 that we read this morning isn't an outlier. It isn't one of those things that you look and go, ah, it's a unicorn among all these other passages. It's among a herd of passages that deal with the responsibility that wives have to submit to their husbands. Here's a few. I told you it was a we survey, so I'll share three or four more passages. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, and likely the source document for our passage here in Ephesians. 
Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Titus chapter 2, this one gives a little more detail about the relationship between older women and younger women and older women having the responsibility to teach the younger women some good things. Okay, so watch what the good things are. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves, slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. Okay, watch that, what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. That's good. That's good according to this passage, that the word of God may not be reviled. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some husbands do not obey the word, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, uh, that they may be one. Okay, here's the last passage of the survey. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. This was the holy women's jewelry. The ones who hoped in God. Here was their jewelry. By submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. The concept... Um, is well-developed across our Bibles. And in the concept that it's developed across, our, across the, our New Testament books is the spirit of glad and willing obedience as one person submits to and is subject to another. And in this case, these passages that we've shared, the last few especially, in this case, as the wife submits to her Husband. Now, whether someone wants to call this unfashionable, whether someone wants to call it primitive and dated, like something that we've, that are archaic, whether someone wants to call it offensive, whatever anyone wants to call this, hopefully this room full of people, even if we have folks that might call, the, call this notion, some of those specific things, hopefully in the last few minutes, we can at least agree to the thought that it is a very well developed concept in our Bibles. Okay, remember, we're making a lens from here. Okay, on purpose. We're setting aside all this other stuff so that we can figure out what the Bible has to say. Okay? Now the bookends. We've got the bookends up. Wives, submit to your husbands. A very clear charge and command for Christian wives is to submit to your own husbands. Now, let's fill in the books between. We're going to work from left to right. Oh, Jeff, let me use my pointer here. We're going to work on this book right here. That, these aren't books, these things, this part of the bookend. There's, we're going to work on the first book right here is the reason. Okay? The reason that wives submit to their own husbands. It's in verse 23. It begins with the word for, and that's what the word for means. Wives are to submit their own husbands for. You could say because. Here's the reason wives are to submit their own, to their own husbands. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. 
Okay, we're getting at a notion here, something that might be unfamiliar to you, and hopefully I can kind of bring this out with just a couple of passages and a couple of thoughts. Um, we're talking about the issue of headship, meaning leadership. Okay, I don't, hopefully there's a room full of folks here that would agree that Christ is head over the church. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 says, And he put all things under his feet, this is the Father, put all things under Christ's feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church. Okay, headship really has two meanings. It has a leadership and authority sort of meaning, but it also has the, uh, implies the notion of, of uh, where something comes from, source. Okay, Christ is the source of life for us, but that's as far as we take the imagery. Uh, wives, your source of life is not from your husband. Okay, I want to set you free from that. Although there is a connection in the garden. Eve was made from Adam. So there is a place for that, but it's a real thin place for us. This passage is getting at the notion of authority and leadership. Okay? Now, like the head leads the body, so Christ leads the church, so the husband is to lead the wife. Now, let me just share these thoughts with you. This might help you sort of connect to this thought. While women have served in very special and important roles over the course of the redemptive story, some, some gals that come to mind for me, some of my favorites are Deborah. Man, Deborah, if you know the story in the book of Judges, Deborah, man, Barak was a, was a, a chicken, and he needed Deborah to sort of help him do with the hard stuff that he was going to do. Deborah was a judge. She served in a leadership role. Okay, some of my other favorite ladies in the Bible is Esther. Okay, what a, what a woman of courage. What an amazing woman of courage. Ruth, beautiful story of Ruth. Rahab, man, what a, what a tiger. Hiding the spies. I mean, walking away from her old life. She actually ended up being in the lineage of Christ. Man, let's celebrate Rahab. Uh, Abigail, she's another one of my favorites because she was married to a real knucklehead. Okay, what a great story. There's some amazing women in the story of redemption. Though there are amazing women in these various stories, God has clearly established a primary leadership role for men. And he did it from the very beginning. To Adam, he gave the garden commands. Okay? To Adam, he gave the responsibility to name the animals. And then to Adam... Pay attention to this. He gave the responsibility and privilege to name his own wife. Okay, that's huge. Man, that is a beautiful picture of dominion, not domination. Dominion and leadership as the wife is named by her own husband. The husband, Adam, is given responsibility to do that. He could have made them both at the same time from the earth. He could have named them both, but it was to Adam he gave this special privilege of naming his own wife. It made me think of Zechariah. You know, Zechariah was mute. You know, the story of the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Christ. Zechariah was mute, and John, little John the B, baby John the B, was unnamed until Zechariah spoke and said, His name's going to be John because he's leading. He's leading that family, and he named that boy. To Noah, he gave instructions for building the ark and saving the world. And to Noah and his sons, or Noah and his sons executed those plans and built that ark that saved the world. 
To Abram, he said, go to a land that I will show you, Abram, a man, and I will make a great nation of you. Then to Isaac and to Jacob, he gave commands and responsibility for walking out God's plan to build a nation. To Moses, he said, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And to Moses, he gave the instruction that the priests of Israel were to be men. And that the priests, along with the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel, all men, by the way, would lead God's people. The Old Testament prophets were almost exclusively, Deborah is the only one, the only prophetess that it comes to mind for me at, at the moment, but they're almost exclusively men given a message and a responsibility and a charge to lead the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah through the Assyrian and Babylonian exiles. And it was to men like Ezra and Nehemiah, he gave the call and the responsibility to move them back home and rebuild Jerusalem. And fast forward a few hundred years into the Gospels, God, uh, or Jesus called male apostles. He could have called six and six. He could have called three women, uh, nine men. He could have called all women, but he called 12 men apostles. And these men would then pass the mantle to male elders of churches planted all over the Roman Empire. While women have served in remarkable ways, it is men that God has called to and looked to for leadership of his people. This too, remember we're building a lens, this too is a very well-developed pattern in our Bibles. So, the notion... That the husband is to lead his wife. The notion that the husband is to lead his family should not be foreign to us. If we're looking through that lens, we've just crafted. The reason a wife then is to submit to or be subject to her husband and yield to her husband's leadership is because that's the way God designed it from the very beginning. It is his design and his plan and his way and all these examples that I named all prefigure the role that Christ would later have with the church in headship, in leading the bride called the church. That is the reason for the charge and the command. Now, let's move to the next book. Pull up my handy dandy. This book right here is The Manor. Okay, we've dealt with the reason that wives submit to their husbands. We've dealt with the command. Wives are to submit to their husbands. The reason is because of headship. Now we're going to deal with the manner. The manner comes from the tail end of verse 22. Just four words. As to the Lord. The wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. The wife submits to an earthly authority, her husband, as she would to the Lord. Okay, I was thinking about what might help you visualize this a little bit. Um, it's been a long time since we've had to hire a babysitter. Okay, but I, I know some of you babysit and some of you need babysitters. Lots, most of you need babysitters. Um, 
It seemed like I heard Alyssa Lane's mention, name mentioned as a babysitter, and she didn't ask me to, to, to publish this or anything, but just, let's just use Alyssa's name, okay, whether she's babysitting or not in the next few minutes. I, I didn't even ask for permission. It's not about you, Alyssa. I'm just barring your name. So uh, just imagine this for a minute. Um, the parents are going to go out on a date, okay, and the parents turn to the kids and say, okay, little Johnny, little Sally, Alyssa is in charge, In these next few minutes while we're gone tonight, you treat Alyssa like she's us. You obey her and do what she says as if she's your very parent. Okay, just connect that to this thought. Jesus says to the wife, treat him like you would me while I'm gone. If you want to connect it to the date night image. So... This isn't, let me just say what this isn't. That's a little image that might help you kind of connect to the thought. Let me tell you what this isn't. This isn't tolerant projection. That's the phrase that I'm just kind of going to use, where you just sort of tolerate a guy and you just sort of project this thought on him. I'm going to put up with you and your sorry self, and I'm just going to make believe that you're Jesus. That's not what we're talking about here. That's weird, and that's heartless, and that's lifeless. Instead, it's... Christ put you in charge, so I'll follow him by following you. You see the difference? Christ put you, yeah, you, in charge of me and this family. So I'm going to follow him by following you. Now, here's something really cool for you. Let me just help you with something wise. I don't know if you've seen this yet or you've connected this yet, but here's something that's really going to help. It's, this, isn't, this passage isn't just about manner as to the Lord, but it's also about aiming point. For the wife, this would be a tremendous help to you. Look at this. The Christian wife is to eagerly follow and to gladly follow and to humbly follow her husband as she would the Lord because... She's ultimately following the Lord as she does so. Does that help you connect it a little bit? Does that help you connect it to the thought of, oh, oh, how I follow my husband means uh, that's worship, actually. If I follow the one that God has put in charge of me and my home, then that means I'm going to actually worship as I'm going about that because I'm following Christ. The Christian wife is different from the pagan wife in this. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we took the time to just sort of expose the ancient Roman context. And in the ancient Roman context, pagan wives submitted to their own husbands. I always thought this was a Christian thing. In ancient times, the pagan wives submitted to their own husbands. But they did it for all the wrong reasons. They did it because that was the cultural expectation. They did it because that was the cultural norm. But the Christian wife is different from the ancient pagan wife who's guided by social norms. She submits because she's submitting to her husband while she's looking somewhere else, while she's looking at Christ. Using the illustration of the babysitter, I'm obeying, this is the child that's thinking, I'm obeying Alyssa while you're gone because you put her in charge. So ultimately, I'm obeying you. Maybe that'll give you a parking place to visualize it. Now, let's move to the last book. The last book right here, we're going to deal with motive. Okay, the charge and command is wives submit to your husbands. The reason, okay, the manner... And now let's deal with the 
motive. That comes from the beginning of verse 24, the first part of verse 24. Now, as the Lord submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. As the Lord submits to Christ is the clue getting at the motive and motivation for the Christian wife. Wives submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. You've got to connect to that concept. Her role, okay, the Christian wife, reflects, if she's fueled by this, she realizes her role reflects the church's role toward Christ, while her husband's role reflects Christ's role toward the church. Now, the relationship between the church and Christ is a wonderful tutor. I brought that up last week. A wonderful tutor. So I want to give you, wives, some real help here. I want to give you some real practical ways that you can walk in this motive and motivation and this thought that uh, as, as a wife, my role and my actions toward my husband represents the actions between the church and Christ. Okay, so here's three helps. Uh, the first, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. You can go ahead and turn this thing off now. I don't need that anymore. Okay? There's some helps for the ladies. I hope this is a big help. Um, if the relationship between the church and Christ is a tutor, then let's just go to some, means, some things that we can draw on here. And what I want to show you here in the next couple minutes is that the church receives God's gift of Christ. Most of, us, most of us in this room can, can, can embrace that. We know that. We believe that. Here's some examples. Um, Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ. He's blessed us with the person of Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This first long sentence in chapter 1 is just saturated with Christ. Through Christ, he's adopted us. In him, we have redemption through his blood. uh, And he's working a purpose through us, which he set forth in Christ. This passage is saturated with Christ being himself the gift. And and I I wanted you to look at chapter 4, verse 7, because I want to show you here what I'm talking about. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The point in that passage is that Christ himself is the gift. Okay, wise. Oh, I hope you get this. I hope you can appreciate this. Wives, ladies, can you receive God's gift to you of your husband? When we talk about you as a church receiving the gift of Christ, man, there's not a person in the room that would disagree with that or or even uh, push back at that at all. But wives, let me just ask you to consider for a moment. Can you consider that God's gift to you is the husband that you're married to? See, the problem is I'm sure there's some ladies in here thinking, yeah, if it's a white elephant gift. When I was a kid, I used to go to the mall, and they had this store in the mall. I don't even know if they have this store anymore. It's called Spencer's. And when I was a kid, man, you could get all manner of gags in there. And some of you are thinking, man, my husband that was bought at Spencer's, God pulled quite a gag on me. 
man, I want you to get this. This is a help to you is to realize if the relationship between Christ and the church and the church and Christ is a tutor on the relationship between the husband and the wife and the wife and the husband and the wife, then, then she, like the church, enjoys that God gave us Christ, can enjoy together God gave us this man. Even if at first blush, you might push back against that. Remember, we're building a lens from what the Bible says. Every wedding that I do, I say this in every single wedding, what God has joined together, let no man separate. That's not just about the ceremony, saying, okay, we just did something important here and nobody messed with what just happened. I'm thinking back in front of that as a man and a woman met and they began to court and began to spend some time together, that God's fingerprints were all over putting the two of them together, that it's his design Wives, can you for a moment, just remember, I I was begging you at the very beginning, set your presuppositions aside, your experiences. You got to really work at this to really consider that that man that you're married to is God's gift to, to you. He's not a gag gift. Can you receive God's gift to you of your husband as you've received the gift of his son. Man, that's something to hope for and something to pray about, ladies. That's something to, to pine for. Here's the second thing. The church tries to learn what's pleasing to Christ. And the church wants to understand Christ's will. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10. I want you to know I'm just not cooking these things up. Right in front of verse 10, it says, Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. And try together, church, to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Nobody in here would disagree that that's that's one of our responsibilities as a church. Try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Now, look down at verse 17. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Both of those passages and in Ephesians, when the word Lord is used, is speaking of Christ. Speaking of our groom, our husband. Okay, let me help you connect this then. The church tries to learn what's pleasing to him. And the church wants to understand his will. Wives, let me just tell you. I hope this helps you. You are not a chump if you try and discern what pleases and blesses your husbands. You're not a chump. The world might say you are, but you know what you're doing when you do that? You're doing what the church does with Christ. You're not a pushover. You're acting just like the church. And wives... If you're trying to understand your husband's will, if you're trying to make sense of what's important to your husband, what plans is he after, what desires is he after, then ladies, let me just encourage you and let me set you free in this. You're acting just like the church if you do that. You're not acting like a chump. You're acting like a worshiper. And you're putting the relationship between Christ and the church on display. Man. The world sure says something else, doesn't it? But we're building a lens from this book right here that helps us look at what what ought to be going on in a home and a marriage. 
You're not showing your kids what it means to be a pushover. You're showing your kids and you're showing your family members and you're showing your friends what the church seeks in regards to the Lord. And then it'll all be familiar to them as they see it in you. You're not a chump. You're not a pushover. You're a worshiper. And you're putting the gospel and the relationship between Christ and the church on display. Here's the third thing. The church's submission to Christ is willing and free. Okay? Man, we joyfully follow Christ. But we're joyful in that. It's not something that, it's not out of compulsion that we enjoy him. We sing songs to him and we make much of him. Right? We did it this morning. Look at chapter 5, verse 19. It's the last passage I want to show you this morning. And it's brief. I'll just grab verse 18 just for the sake of context. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This is a product of being filled with the Spirit, and this is part and parcel to being filled, is addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, to Jesus. That's what the church does. We did it this morning. Where's our song list? Man, I love you, Lord. Didn't we do that? Were y'all singing to Jesus? I love you, Lord. Beautiful Savior, we sung together. Okay? How great thou art. My Jesus, I love thee. And beautiful is some songs we're going to sing in a few minutes. Right? We're singing to Jesus as the church together is enjoying Jesus. Now, I know it's a lot to ask, ladies. But could you write a song or two for us? Could you write a song or two for your husbands? I was trying to think about any songs that had to do with a gal singing about her husband or singing about her man, and there just aren't that many. There's lots about men singing for their, for their women. I, Lionel Richie, once, twice, three times a lady. <laughs> right? I was thinking of some others. Um, Richie Valens sang Donna. Oh, Donna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. James Taylor. Man, he's writing about ladies all the time. Something in the way she moves. There's Fire and Rain, one of his most famous songs. Neil Diamond singing Sweet Caroline. I mean, lots of songs about dudes singing for their ladies. How about some ladies writing a song or two for their men? It's not far-fetched. You know, there's a book in our Bible where that actually takes place. Song of Solomon. Man, let me just give you a little, a little, a few excerpts. It might encourage you. It might give you some material to work with here, ladies. Let me, uh, let me turn to there. Song of Solomon. Oh, man, that's some good stuff. I, actually, I don't have the page mark. Let me find it. Give me a second. I do, actually. Yeah, there it is. Song of Solomon. Mm, this is going to give you some good material. Here's a passage, an excerpt from there, where the Shulamite woman is pining for Solomon. Okay. She thinks Solomon's pretty awesome. Now, you might be saying, well, they must have been dating. <laughs> they couldn't. Well, true. Part of that is where they're dating. But the spirit of it really gets at what I'm talking about here. Uh, she says of him, behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Are y'all saying that to your husbands? Any y'all? Any version of that? Anything even remotely similar? Here's some other things she says about him. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. That's kind of creepy. 
I didn't plan on reading that ahead of time. Just, I was going to read a couple excerpts there. That was there. Solomon? It's pretty funny. But here's one I really liked. Here's what she says about him that I really like. Listen to this one. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. Man, there's a forest full of trees. There's a world full of dudes. But guess what? You're an apple tree among the forest. You're special to me, dude. You're my husband, and I think you're pretty awesome. We could have a whole new song list. You know, instead of I love you, Lord, it'd be I love you, husband. Okay? Uh, beautiful husband. I'm trying to give you some titles, too, ladies, the songs that you could write. How great you are. I mean, you could, you could change some things up. My husband, I love thee be another one. Uh, we're going to sing Beautiful, the last song we sing this morning. And instead, you could write a song for your husband titled Handsome. Manly, rugged, dashing, dapper, or funny. Man, this is not a farce. I'm not, I'm not talking about something that's ridiculous here. Actually, I'm talking about wives. Let me give you some encouragement in this. Um, you treat your husband, consider this, ladies, first. You treat your husband like he's an afterthought. You treat your husband like he's an interruption. You treat your husband like you're just tolerating him. Then don't for a second wonder why he finds you hard to love and he's not very good at it. Treat him like he's an apple tree among the trees of the forest, on the other hand. And well, you can actually help him be worth something. Let me encourage you, ladies. You can actually help him be worth something. It's counterintuitive. You can adore him into being adorable. Even if you're sitting here thinking, man, he's a gift at Spencer's. You can enjoy him into being enjoyable. You can respect him into being respectable. You don't, you cannot imagine the power you have to do that to your husband. And the flip side of that, you also have the power to make him feel like a, quite a loser. Man, take some good cues from the Shulamite woman. You're an apple tree among the forest, bud, and you're mine. And I think you're pretty awesome. Man, you don't have to write a song, but just think about some encouragement. Cheering for your dude like he's Solomon. He might surprise you by growing into being worth something. I know this whole thing, everything I've talked about this morning is an imperfect venture. Man, I know it. And there's lots of margin, ladies. There's lots of margin for you in this because I know who you're married to. I know who Christy McGraw is married to. And there's nothing in the spirit of what we shared this morning that's wagging the finger or get yourself in line, ladies. There's lots of margin. It is a, an imperfect venture. Venture one that's often disappointing, but I want to encourage you in this, ladies. Joy in the Lord is the only fuel for this venture. Any other fuel won't do. If your husband's having a good week and you're thinking, ah, this is a breeze, guess what? He's got a bad week in store. Joy in the Lord is the only fuel for the venture of submitting to your husband joyfully and gladly. If Christ is your aim and you are aware of what's at stake, 
what you're representing, there are tremendous and wonderful blessings in store for you. Next week, I'm going to deal with these questions. Does this charge to Christian wives mean that men are superior to women? Second question, could this have simply been a cultural command for Christian wives in ancient Ephesus? Third question, how far does this submission thing go? Is the wife called to just say yes to everything? And the fourth question, what is the wife to do with this command if the husband isn't leading well? I encourage you, if you were left wanting today, that's kind of by design. I know you carry a lot of experiences in here. You have a lot of questions. Hopefully most of them will be answered next Sunday as we deal with these questions. Let me pray. God, I pray for our wives. Um, I pray for the wives-to-be. I pray for our young ladies in here that aren't aren't married but are at the age where they're beginning to think about what it will mean to be a wife someday, potentially. Lord, I I pray that you've given some some shape and some um, space for this to be visualized. Um, Lord, I pray that you've given some motive and motivation for being about it. Lord, I pray for those who are walking out of here this morning potentially with a thousand questions. Lord, I pray that you will help us answer those questions over the next few days and this next Sunday and all of that for your glory. Lord, we want to walk well in what you've called us to for wives and for husbands, for sons and daughters, for all of us. Lord, we are entrusting this imperfect venture to you. And we're thankful that you are working in us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Share a passage for our supper. Um, Why don't we go ahead and distribute the elements, and I'll share that afterward.